Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. I'm your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, and this is episode 114 Occupational Heat Exposure. So it's summertime and temperatures are on the rise, and this is the perfect time then to start planning to protect your employees from heat-related illness and injury. This subject is often overlooked, and it's not just a summertime issue, because employees are exposed to high heat all year long, both indoors and out. And in 2014 alone, 2,630 workers suffered from heat illness, and 18 of them died. So exposure to high heat can come from different sources, from air temperatures, from humidity, from radiant heat sources, direct contact with hot objects, and also strenuous physical activity. Indoor heat exposures exist in a lot of different businesses, like restaurants and factories. And then outdoor heat exposure exists when you have employees working, well, outdoors, in hot weather and in the direct sun. Now, the construction industry, oil and gas, landscaping, and painting industries, for example, are at risk. Now, as an employer, you're required by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to protect your employees from heat exposure. So your body has two different ways of keeping you cool. It will circulate blood to your skin and also sweating. So when your blood becomes too hot, the blood vessels in your skin open up and allow the blood to pass to the skin where it becomes cooled. That's what causes flushing of the face. I'm sure you already know that sweating works by evaporation, and evaporation only works if the humidity level is low. But did you know that Charles Blagden, a British physician and scientist, conducted several experiments showing just how effective sweating works? He called it experiments and observations in a heated room. And he became the first person to explicitly recognize the role of perspiration in our bodies for thermal regulation. Now, Blagden and his co-experimenters, which included a dog, by the way, held several hot room sessions over the course of two years. And by the final session the room temperature was 216 degrees. They had meat cooking in the room, and they hard-boiled an egg. And even though the men were extremely uncomfortable, according to his report, they were uninjured without even a rise in their body temperature. Again, at least that's what he claimed in his report to the Royal Society in 1775. We have uh, 2 million sweat glands in our skin that are capable of producing massive amounts of water, and it was the sweating and the evaporation that cooled the Blagden experimenter's skin, preventing them from being cooked to death. Now, according to Medline Plus, an average of 34 ounces of water are evaporated from your skin daily. So it's super important to replace the water and the salt that you lose through sweating. Now, just because Blagden and his merry crew of volunteers survived that 260-degree hot room doesn't mean that the risk of serious illness or death doesn't exist where the heat index is only maxing out at, say, 112 degrees. 
as it did for this unfortunate 56-year-old agricultural worker in North Carolina. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health provided this example. On the third day of work, an employee started at 6 a.m. and took a short mid-morning break and a 90-minute lunch break. In the mid-afternoon, a supervisor observed him working slowly and reportedly instructed him to rest, but the man continued to work. An hour later, he appeared confused, and co-workers carried him to some shade and tried to get him to drink some water. He was eventually taken by ambulance to an emergency department, and his core temperature was recorded at 108 degrees, and despite treatment, he died. On the day of the incident, the local temperature was only 93 degrees, but there was 44% relative humidity, and the heat index uh, ranged between 86 and 112. So heat-related deaths often occur in these types of occupations where workers are performing tasks in hot environments. That causes them to build metabolic heat faster than their bodies can release it to cool down. And so that's what happens. Your core temperature will rise along with your heart rate, and then after that you'll start to lose concentration and you'll have difficulty focusing. And if you're doing risky work, that's not good because you could get sweaty palms and tools could slip or your safety glasses could get fogged up or wet and you you won't be able to see, so you take them off and now your eyes are unprotected and you will get dizzy and you might fall. Next, you'll get irritable or sick and then you'll faint and then you might die if you're not cooled down. Heat-related illnesses include rashes, cramps, exhaustion, and stroke, and it's that heat stroke that will kill you. Needless to say, if you see symptoms of heat stroke, you need to get immediate medical attention. For a fantastic fact sheet with the symptoms and the first aid treatments for each of these heat-related illnesses, you can head over to smallbizbrainiac.com and click on podcasts or click on the search icon in the menu bar and type 114 and you'll find a link to that fact sheet in the show notes. So if there's any heat exposure in your business, whether that's indoors or out, you need to implement a heat-related illness prevention program. And here's what it needs to include according to the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Training for supervisors and workers to prevent, recognize, and treat heat-related illness. Implementing a heat acclimatization program for workers. Providing for and encouraging proper hydration with proper amounts and types of fluids. Establishing work rest schedules appropriate for the current heat stress conditions. Ensuring access to shade or cool areas. Monitoring workers during hot conditions. Providing prompt medical attention to workers who show signs of heat-related illness. Evaluating work practices continually to reduce exertion and environmental heat stress and monitoring weather reports daily and rescheduling jobs with high heat exposure to cooler times of the day. As far as your employees, they should drink water or liquids frequently enough to never become thirsty. Hydration is obviously the most important tool in preventing heat-related illness. They should eat during lunch and other rest breaks because food helps to replace lost electrolytes. They should wear light-colored, loose-fitting, breathable clothing such as cotton, not this synthetic clothing. Wear a wide-brimmed hat when possible. Take breaks in the shade or cool areas when possible. 
Uh, be aware that the protective clothing or protective equipment that they have to use might increase the risk of heat stress, so ad- adapt accordingly. And they need to monitor their own physical condition and that of their coworkers, and then tell their supervisor if they have any symptoms. And if they're taking any medications, they should be talking to their doctor about how that may affect their heat tolerance level. Well, there you have it. So don't forget to go to smallbizbrainiac.com forward slash podcasts for that fact sheet and also to get your free report on the eight steps to lowering your employer liability so you can learn what you can do to protect your company from lawsuits penalties fines and headaches that's a wrap thanks for listening have a great day thanks for listening to small biz brainiac to get your questions answered by thomas directly visit smallbizbrainiac.com And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.